Wow. <laughs> I got a couple things to address here first, I think. The notes can wait. Uh, first off, he said the time he beat me in golf, that's kind of true. Uh, the logistics behind that, it was a four-man scramble. And the way Dustin worked was he put himself with three really good golfers. And I was the guy who got paired with people who were, like, new to the church, maybe never golfed before. So it's not fair, but life's not fair. Two, our children are betrothed. Uh, still working out some of the details. Uh, we do have contingency plans in place that may or may not include our younger children as well if the first children don't work out. Uh, but there's a list. I don't, I don't I'm po not positive on this, but I don't think our son is the only son that Dustin has pre-betrothed his kids to. So uh, he also must have contingency plans in place. Hey, but good morning. It's, uh, it's great to be here. As Pastor Dustin said in the video, my name's Cameron, and I'm just really excited to be here. Um, it, it's always fun to come to a new place, uh, worship with new people, and, and honestly just kind of get a feel for what's going on. Uh, but before getting started, I just wanted to say it's been really cool to follow along with the direction of Celebration Church and where it's headed. Um, as Dustin said, uh, we worked together in California. When we met Dustin and Stephanie, um, we, we knew right away when we met them that they were just passionate people. Uh, whether it meant Disney, whether it meant uh, their kids, whether it meant whatever activities they were doing, they're passionate people. And that's been really evident uh, in just following along with their journey and their story uh, and how things have been going at Celebration Church. We actually got to come and kind of be secret visitors uh, when uh, about a year ago when, when Dustin was voted in. Uh, we sat in the back, we hid behind a table. Uh, they didn't know where we were coming. Um, I, I don't remember who it was, but somebody had come up to him and be like, uh, you came on a really interesting Sunday. We're, we're actually having a guest speaker. We might vote him in as a pastor. And I'm like, I know. Uh, <laughs> shh, don't say anything. <laughs> um, but it's, it's been just really cool to see how much they love this church and, and just talk so highly of this place. And every single conversation Pastor Dustin and I have about Celebration Church is just like, man, God is good. The things that God is doing here, I just, I, he just loves this place. And so you guys are in good hands. Uh, it speaks really highly of you guys, how well he talks about this place. So that's really cool. Uh, like I said, we work together in Martinez, California. A couple stories about that is his, uh, I'm, a, I'm from here. I'm from Washington. So go Seahawks, even though, man, it's been a tough, it's, can we just take a moment of silence for the Seahawks offseason? My Lord. I, I, I couldn't take it, just one thing after another. But when I was in California, I had a, a Seahawks football floor mat right inside my office door. And every time Aurora would come to the church, which was frequently, she would walk in, not even say hi to me, walk straight to my mat, and flip it over. <laughs> the t and you want this girl to marry my son? Jeez. Uh, one of my favorite memories when we were down there, it's, I mean, it was not such a fun memory at the time, but obviously we went to the back-to-back -back Super Bowls. First one went our way. We don't need to talk about the second one. But I walked into my office that next uh, Tuesday morning because we had Mondays off at the time, and I walked in, and I turned right around and walked out. He had covered with Aurora my room with pictures of the interception 
and they were, ever, I mean, I'm talking 60 plus pictures. They're in my desk and all of my volunteer full, like everywhere I looked for the next three months, I was finding pictures of the interception and it's just brutal. So, uh, but this morning I, I brought my beautiful wife, Brittany, with me. She's right there in the back. She's with our nine month old. Uh, I think a picture of her is going to come up on screen. This is uh, Lily. She's our nine-month-old. We actually have three kids, but so Brittany and I met when we were in college. We went to New Hope Christian College, formerly Eugene Bible College, uh, and we met on the first day of school, uh, first day of orientation, and we kind of were just kind of co-mingling within the same groups, and we, we got back to our dorms. I was meeting some of my roommates, and kind of the joke with Eugene Bible College, or what was now New Hope Christian College, was they called it uh, New, Husband, New Husbands Come Christmas, because NHCC. Uh, the idea was ring by spring, right? Uh, there's only 150, 200 of us. We all love Jesus. That's got to be enough prerequisites for finding a spouse at that point. And so th- th- I didn't really know any of this. And one of my new roommates come up to me. He goes, he kind of corners me. And I was like, I'm trying to go get dinner. He goes, you have to answer a question first. Okay, my name's Cameron. Is that the question? I don't, we've never met. He goes, who are you going to marry? I said, what is wrong with you? He goes, you can't leave till you pick someone. <laughs> I'm like, I, uh, I said, how about that Brittany girl? And he goes, she's got a boyfriend. And so at this point, I was irritated and I was feeling a little cocky. So I looked at him. I said, we'll see. And I left. <laughs> and things worked out, right? I wish I could say it was true love at first sight. It, that was pretty one-sided, if I'm being honest. It was more like the friend zone for a while. If you've ever been stuck in the friend zone, it's probably worse than purgatory, I'd imagine. I mean, I don't know, but this May will be nine years married for us. Like I said, we have three kids. Um, if, for those of you who have had three kids, you'll probably agree. If you don't have three kids and you're thinking about it, do you want to know what having three kids is like? Just pretend you're drowning, okay? And then someone hands you a baby. That's what it's like. If I mean... The best way I can describe it, because we had this experience this morning, is, you know, when you have your first kid uh, and you have, have an accident in the car, a blowout, whatever you're doing, you got to change a diaper, like, you'll pull off and you, you kind of look for, like, a acceptable place to change a diaper, whether that's a restroom or a restaurant. Somewhere you're going, you're looking for the restaurant. Kid number two, maybe the backseat of the car, if a blanket on the car, like, you know, you still try to... Baby number three is lucky if you have diapers in the car, if I'm being honest. <laughs> We went through that this morning. We, got, we woke up and we're like, oh, we don't have any diapers. Where is the nearest target? So that was, that was for real for us this morning. Our son, Luke, he's six. Uh, I think a picture, we have a picture of him. This is at the uh, Dallas Art Museum just a couple months ago. He got to do his own art, made a little spider behind him. He is absolutely the coolest kid of all time. I might be a little biased. This is the son that's betrothed, if you're wondering. Um, he's our detail-oriented child. He loves the little details. When he started to recognize that like some of his Disney toys had buttons or strings you could pull and they would have catchphrases, he realized that I've heard these phrases somewhere. Oh, these phrases are from the movies. And so we would catch him playing in the living room. He'd have maybe Toy Story on, and he'd have a couple of his different Toy Story toys next to him. And we noticed pretty quickly that he was lining up the phrases that the 
the toys would make with what's happening at the correct place in the movie. And so anytime, you know, Buzz said, to infinity and beyond, he'd have it queued up on his toy, so he'd press the button, and as the movie is saying it, so was his toy. We'd ask him, what, Bud, what are you doing? He looked at me, and he goes, Dad, this is my work. <laughs> He's so serious about it. That's Luke. He's detail-oriented. We love Luke. He turns seven next month. That's crazy. Our daughter, our middle child, is Micaiah, and she runs the show. She is fiery. She is passionate. She's going to run a company someday. I'm sure of it. This is when she got to go to Disneyland this past year and meet all of her favorite princesses. Uh, that was just, I mean, watching her walk through Disneyland in a princess dress was something else. It was expensive, but it was something else. She, uh, she wins arguments with me. It's frustrating because she's smarter than me. Uh, she'll be like, I'll be like, hey, baby, it, it's bedtime. She goes, I don't want to go to bed. I'm like, well, you, it's, it's 7.30. It's time to go to bed. She goes, it's light outside. I'm like, I know that it's light outside, but you still have to go to bed. Are you going to bed? No. Well, I do I have to go to bed? You're right. <laughs> you win. You win. I'll, I'll go to bed. You stay up. You win. <laughs> and then, like I said, our baby Lily showed you a picture of her already. But Lily is nine months old, and she has two settings. She's like a, like a toy. She's got two settings. Incredibly happy and incredibly not. And there's no in-between. No warning. She goes from 100% happy to 100% upset. And it's terrifying. But that's her. That's when we went to visit uh, Magnolia in Waco, Texas. And this was one of the moments where she was incredibly happy. You should have seen her on the drive home. So I have one last photo. It's just our family photo. This is us at Christmas. So that's, that's us, Fry, party of five. Um, and I, I, I love my family. So I just thought uh, give you guys a little bit about me, my background, my family, and kind of give you an idea of uh, my personality coming through. So we're just really excited to be here. We left the two older kids at home with grandma, but uh, it's just a, a real blessing to be here. This morning, we're actually going to be looking, if you have your Bibles, uh, at a couple different places. We're going to start in Matthew 21. Uh, and it's the story of when Jesus drove the merchants, the money changers, the thieves out of the temple. When Pastor Dustin called me and asked if I would share, uh, my initial reaction was, yeah, of course, man, I would love to do that. What, are you going through a series? Is there something specific you'd like me to talk about? And he goes, actually, yeah. He goes, you know the story of Jesus flipping the tables and getting angry? I said, dude, why, why me? I said, that's a big one. He goes, do you want to talk about that? And I said, not really. No, I'm just kidding. I said, are you crazy? But the more we talked about it and I heard his heart behind it and his vision behind it, and the more I studied this passage, the more I learned to see and love the true heart of Jesus through this passage. I want to start just by reading the scriptures really quick. It's going to come up on the screen. Matthew 21, verses 12 to 14 says this. And Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold uh, in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall not be called a house of prayer. And you've made it a den of robbers. My house shall be called a house of prayer, and you make it a den of robbers. And then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and they healed. 
A couple pieces of context here. See, this is the day after Jesus has actually entered Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. This is part of what would build up to eventually being Easter Sunday as we know it. And actually in Mark's gospel in chapter 11, we read the same story, but we also read that he actually visited the temple a time before this, after he had entered Jerusalem, presumably to see if it's fulfilling its purpose of leading people towards God, towards him. In Mark 11, verse 11, it says this, and he entered Jerusalem and he went to the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, this would have been the same Sunday that he actually arrived. And the story of Jesus cleansing the temple doesn't happen for, uh, until Monday. And here's a couple of observations, if I'm reading in between the lines here. A uh, couple conclusions that I came to. The first one is that Jesus, he came, he saw, and he, he saw exactly what was happening. He saw the issues at play. But rather than act hastily, he gave it a night. I think there's some, a good lesson in there, probably for myself, honestly. But this is not a think-before-you-speak message. I think it, that's a good lesson there, but I think that's important to notice, that Jesus came, saw what was happening the day before, and gave it a night. Interesting. And number two, Jesus probably wanted to wait for the right moment. Mark 11 notes that it was already late. He may have been taking the opportunity to teach this lesson when there were more people around to hear it more people that could learn and benefit from it. Now, with this story of Jesus coming in, turning the tables, it can be really easy to read it and only focus on that part. It's one of the uh, only moments in Scripture, it happens three times, that we noticeably get to see Jesus, his anger a little bit here. He comes in, he causes a little bit of chaos. But I think what we, we forget, or at least what I forget when I read this and when I've heard this story is what happens after that. What happens next? What are the implications of that? So I want to read that passage again, uh, verses 12 and 13, and then I'll, I'll finish with 14. It says, And Jesus entered the temple. He drove out all who sold in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, and you have made it a den of robbers. And, and hear this last part in verse 14, because the story doesn't end. It says, And then the blind came... And the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Do not mistake this. Jesus came in with a purpose to cleanse out the temple, to clear out what was happening, to, to drive out the money changers and the thieves. He absolutely had that purpose, but it wasn't a rash decision. It wasn't just to make a point. It wasn't to cause confusion or chaos. It was to create space, to continue to bless people. My kids, and we've already talked about them, they love to play. Love to play. Usually starts out with a couple toys. They get a couple toys out of their room. They're probably playing by themselves, individually really nice. Maybe the toys are talking to each other. And after a couple minutes, four toys isn't enough. So they go back to the room, and they bring in a supporting cast. And then four toy toys has kind of turned into eight toys, and now all eight toys are having a really good time. But you know it would make those toys have a better time if they were staged to watch my other kids play a board game together. So all the toys are now staged on the couches. It's like theater style. And they're sitting there to watch my kids now play one of their new board games, presumably from Christmas. So now we've got Operation out, which if you've never played Operation, I, if you've played Operation and not lost a piece, you are a hero. That game is 
impossible to find all the pieces. Now they've got operation now. The, kid, the, the toys are all watching game night, and no game night is complete without a charcuterie board of snacks and apple slices and, and whatever kids snack on. Our kids really like celery and grapes, and, and you've got to have the charcuterie tray. But the charcuterie tray only looks like the charcuterie tray for the first 12 seconds. And then the charcuterie tray is empty, and now the floor is the charcuterie tray. So you've got all these things going on at once because the toys have to be able to watch the game, and maybe they want to join in the game, and then the food's all over the floor, but the movie was on. But if the movie's on, then the music's got to be louder because you can't hear the music. <gasps> and then they got to keep playing, and then there's probably not. You get the idea. I don't know how they do it, but in a matter of minutes, our house can go from immaculate to looking like we've never cleaned it in our entire lives every day and being the social people that my wife and I are sometimes we want to have guests over for dinner what has to be done before people come over we have to make space so the first thing I do is flip the dining room table over and yell and tell my kids they're robbers no you get the idea before we can allow people over to our home for what's happening, for what the good that could come is, we have to make space. We have to clean up. We have to prepare our home for what's coming. Jesus was creating space. Jesus wanted to create a home for people who needed it. Jesus knew there was some unneeded clutter hanging around. And that's where I want to hang out today, in that, in that idea of creating space. And if you're like me when you first heard this idea, you probably immediately looked and said, mm, that's good, I know somebody who could use this message. Uh, neighbor on the, on the street, three houses down, could use some declutter in their heart. I know it. Oh, you know so-and-so from work? They could really create some more space and benefit from this. We laugh and we joke, but here's the thing. I think the real message here is in order to let Jesus truly be the Lord of our hearts, there's some junk that we have to be willing to clear out first. So how do we do that? How do we, Christians, churchgoers, people of faith, in 2022 learn how to create space in our hearts? Luckily for us, this is not the first time. The temple experience is not the first time or the last time that people have veered from their true purpose. It's all across history. One example I want to look at to help us is this idea of creating space um, is from John's writings to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, specifically the church of Ephesus. In Revelation 2, turn to it. In Revelation 2, John writes this. He says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, I write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among you among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles who, uh, and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you, remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yes, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's a, it's wordy. It's a lot of words. It's revelation. It's all wordy. 
And this, but in this passage, John gives a very clear directive to a church that could benefit from creating some space. And it boils down to three steps he puts in there, and I think they're going to be really helpful for us this morning. Those are to remember, to repent, and to return. So let's go through these together. The first one, remember. After writing to the Ephesians about how they've abandoned the love they had for God, about how they have abandoned their first love, in verse 5, John urges the church of Ephesus to remember what they had before. Webster's defines this, uh, uh, the word remember as this. One, to bring to mind or to think of again and to keep in mind. In the original text, this would have meant to feel a previous memory. One of the first ways John urges us to create space in our hearts is to remember how things were previously, meaning to remember that feeling when we first experienced Christ's love, to remember how it felt when we asked Christ to enter into our hearts. Because as I mentioned before, I have three kids, and if I'm being completely honest, I've told, I've told you how that gets a little messy. If I'm being completely honest, there are some times where they make me want to lose my mind. A lot of that's probably on me. I'll own that. But here's how it goes. They wake up, they need something. Five minutes later, they need something else. Five minutes later, they need something else. Five minutes, you get the idea. It just goes on and on and on. And before you know it, after about an hour, I feel like I've absolutely lost my mind. That I said the same things over and over, and I can't figure out how I've gone from a serene morning wake up to the sun shining, and the sun shining to wondering how many hairs I'm going to pull out of my head today. And it seems silly, but something I will do when I'm finding myself visibly irritated or frustrated is I'll walk down our hallway where we have three pictures mounted on the wall from each of the days they were born. And I'll stand there for a moment and I'll look at them. And I'll remember that feeling I had the first time I held them, that feeling I had the first time I saw each of my kids, that feeling I had when I made them that promise, I will always be there for you, I will always protect you, I will always take care of you. I remember that there's nothing that they could do to make me love them less. I remember that I will always be dad to them. It's the same idea to remember how you felt. Remember that feeling. It's not saying that uh, this idea of going back and remembering means that everything's going to be perfect and sunshine and roses forever. But it's that idea of consciously looking into your heart and remembering that moment where you had a connection, a first experience with Jesus, and saying, that's the place I need to get back to. When you start this process of creating space to let Jesus back in, you've got to remember that place that you were when he first met you. This charge to remember from where we have fallen that John is talking about is a chance for us to get back to our roots and to refocus. So the first thing we want to do to create space is remember. The second thing, repent. This is right there in, in the passage, um, in the same verse, in verse 5. First it says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, and it immediately says, repent. It was by no accident that directly after telling us to remember, John says, repent. Aside from being the most logical next step, I think, in this order, I think it's placed directly next to the word remember in scriptures on purpose. I think it's so that we don't wallow in the fact that sometimes when we remember how things used to be, it's really easy for us to get caught up in self-pity or shame or guilt. Because when we remember how things were when we met Jesus and we remember the good, we also start to remember, well, how come I don't feel that anymore. 
How, what happened? How come I did this or I did that or I made this decision? And how come I no longer feel that feeling that I, when I met Jesus? Why? How do we f- fall in a way like that? But looking back at the original passage we started with in, in Matthew, what's the first thing Jesus did after cleansing the temple, after driving everybody out? He didn't leave. He didn't say, don't come back. He healed people. He forgave people. He brought people back to that place of remembering what he's done in their life and what he will continue to do. So what does repentance look like in our lives? It's not a big ceremony. It's not something we post on Facebook on on Sundays after church. Hey, church fam, just letting you know, hashtag repenting. It's not a huge ceremony. It's a moment between you and Jesus where you acknowledge mistakes you've made The junk you need to clear out, you ask for forgiveness. Why? Because that debt's already been paid. This is part of moving to Easter. That debt has been paid in full. And all we need to do is consciously make that acknowledgement and ask Jesus to bring us back to that place of needing and relying on him. We have to remember where we were when we met Jesus. Remember that moment and immediately repent and acknowledge, listen, That's where I was, that's where I want to be, and that's where I want to get back to. Lord, help me. Lord, forgive me. I acknowledge that I'm not perfect. I acknowledge that I make most uh, mistakes. And I acknowledge that in order for me to get back to where I was, I need you. That's repentance. That brings me to my third way to create space. We remember, we repent, and we return. Verse 5 doesn't explicitly list out the word return. But the final part of the process that it says is do the works you did first. Go back to what you were doing. Return to what you were doing. The final part of this process of creating space is to go back to that place where we were, the feeling that we remembered, and consciously making the decision to do it again. Going back to that story when I go a little over the top and and I'm a little frustrated with my kids for being kids. After I've had that moment where I remember and internally have have acknowledged and, and repented, I always try to go back to them. I always try to go back and have that conversation. I always try to make a conscious decision to sit them down and say, hey, listen, dad, dad was wrong. Dad messed up. Dad got a little frustrated. Here's why. And I'll, and I'll list it out, and I'll share. And in that moment, I can also teach and correct and say, but here's the thing. Even though Dad was frustrated, Dad still loves you. Dad will always be there for you. Dad will still have to correct you sometimes. Dad will have to correct me sometimes. But I will always love you, and I will always be there for you. I need you to know that no matter what happens, daddy is always coming back to you. It's this moment of return. Sometimes in our lives, in our hearts, after we've, after we've remembered and we've repented, that moment of return can be really scary and really challenging and really difficult. And often this Easter week and leading to Easter can bring up a lot of those unhinged and un, and emotions that haven't quite boiled over and and we feel this sense of shame and guilt and feeling like there is no way I know God is good but there's no way I can get back to who I was I've done this I've done that 
I've, I've said these things. I've, I regret this. There's no way. How can I get back to where I was? And the charge that John writes and the charge that Jesus gives us in his example of cleansing the temple is just come home and I'll take care of the rest. In fact, I've already taken care of the rest. And that's a hard, I, every Easter I go through this kind of, this thing in my brain where I'm like, I, I understand Jesus died for me. I understand Jesus' love for me. I understand how good he is. But me? Why me? What good is there with me? When I was growing up, my dad was a youth pastor for the majority of my life, uh, my childhood. And he, he would, one of the perks of being the, the pastor's kid is you get to go to all the things with, with the group, with the youth group. So my dad would take me to all the camps, the retreats, and, and I just was exposed to all of it as a, at a really young age. And one of the things I remember when I was just a really young boy, I was probably still in third or fourth grade, was they had this kind of emotional night at camp, you know, as there is. It usually falls on the Thursday of camp, get everybody to tear up, well up, so that on Friday they can make good decisions again, right? That's just kind of the camp formula. And I remember it, and I, I was sitting there during the worship. As a, as a young kid, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to the high school camp stuff that was going on. But I had to show up. My dad asked because there was no supervision if I wasn't at chapel. So I had to show up and listen. And one night, I just decided, you know, I'm going to listen a little more than I usually do. Um, just kind of see what it is that they're talking about. And, and what the speaker had planned that night was this idea of remembering what Jesus has done for you and returning to him. Uh, but, but flipping that acknowledgement so that it wasn't an action that was fully based on us, but something that God had already invited us to. And let me explain what that means. The pastor got up there and he said, listen, some of you feel like you're too far gone. Some of you feel like, like there's no redeeming hope left in your life. Some of you feel like uh, everything you've done has boiled up to this point and there's no chance to come back. And we're going to have an opportunity tonight for you to look at God, look up and say, God, do you remember me? And this idea was so weird to me. I said, well, who's going to, why, why would a bunch of high school kids sit here and say, God, do you remember me? And it didn't seem real to me. And I'm sitting there, and, and the pastor gets down. He finished his message. I honestly couldn't tell you where he was going with it, what he said. But all of a sudden, I hear all of these high schoolers around me start yelling, God, you remember me? God, remember me? And they're all kind of doing their thing. And I just had this moment, and I sat there as a fourth or fifth grade or whatever it was, and I looked down, and I said, God, do you still remember me? And I had this moment with Jesus where I could feel him talking to me and say, I, I never forgot. And that idea of Jesus never forgetting out me made the idea of returning back to him so much more clear. Yeah, sure, I, have to, I had to do the steps to remember. I had to do the steps to repent. I had to make the conscious effort to return. But when I decided to return, when people decided to return to the temple, when the church of Ephesus decided to return, who was there waiting? Dead already paid in full, Jesus. That same invitation is there for us today. Jesus is willing and ready to work on our lives, but he might have to clear some stuff out first. He's willing and ready to make the changes that we desire, but there might be some tables that gotta turn. Not because he doesn't love us, but because we have to understand that in order for him to be fully in our hearts, we got to create some space. We can't hold on to other things. We can't hold on to the things of the past. We got to 
We've got to fully grasp on to what Jesus has for us. I want to invite the worship team back up as, as we close. And, and just kind of one last story. I really like, I don't know if you could tell, I really like stories. I feel like they, they're helpful for me, and so hopefully and they've, they've come across. But I just started a new job this last year. And it requires a lot of email correspondence. And when I say a lot, my family took a vacation this last November after I'd been in the job for a couple months. Uh, and I had not been out of town since I'd taken this job. So I, just out of sheer curiosity, on, on night number three of our trip, I decided to open my phone, log into the email app, and just see how many emails I would have. I wanted to know what I was going to be coming back to. Day three, 350 I had 350 emails, and this was a 10-day vacation. I was on day three. I immediately deleted that app, got rid of it. I said, I'm going back to vacation, because just deleting the app, that should make it fine. That will stop the emails from coming. That'll make them go away, right? No. See, at some point I realized, I'm going to have to go back to work. And before I can be productive my first Monday back, I'm going to have to clear out some space. I'm going to have to create some serious space. Listen, I'm in no way advocating that you work on vacation. Zero percent advocating that. Please don't. But think about the times that we've taken a vacation from Jesus. Taken a vacation from the things that we know to be true in our lives. And we've relaxed. And the junk in our lives starts to build up like the inbox that never stops. And just like that church in Ephesus, just like the temple of Jerusalem, just like so many of our lives, it can be full, become full of things that aren't of Jesus, aren't of God. Full of junk, full of the unneeded, full of things that are just taking over space in our hearts and our lives. And we forget our true purpose of what it means to live as a follower of Jesus. You see, friends, Jesus is ready and waiting to create space in our hearts. But we've got some stuff to clear out. Remember, repent, return to the life we were living in Jesus. Where in your life could use a purge? What tables in your heart might need to be flipped? Where do you need to create space to let Jesus back in so that you can remember that moment, remember that way you felt when you first met Jesus? Are you willing to come back to repent and return to that place where you first met Jesus and let him work in your life? The road to Easter is just starting. The best part is Jesus is coming. Who's going who's gonna to be ready? Who's going to be there? Why don't we return to Jesus together? Because he's waiting. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for who you are, the truth that you have for our lives. Jesus, today I pray for, for those spaces in our life where we've really let things go. We've really gotten too relaxed and we just need to clear some space. Lord, I pray that in those moments we would remember 
how we felt when we first met you, that we would repent and acknowledge the mistakes we've made and we would be willing to return to that place of following you wholly. Jesus, we love you. We need you. It's your name we say today. Amen.